Hello, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Dr. Louise, and I'm the founder and CEO of Empowerment Through Thought. I help the survivors of narcissistic abuse be confident, feel understood, and move forward from the chaos of the past. Now, if you don't know, I actually do um, a lot of one-on-one work with clients. I have a couple different ways that you can work with me. And, you know, I'm really honored that a lot of survivors trust me to help guide them through the process of, you know, maybe going no contact, dealing with the fallout of going no contact. And for some survivors, it's really just navigating life as a survivor, right? Well, that's when we're dealing with the work environments, we're dealing with the jobs, we're dealing with life as somebody who has endured long-term abuse. If you're interested in getting some support on your own journey, I am more than happy to talk with you. We can schedule a discovery call. You can shoot me an email. It's drlouise at empowermentthroughthought.com or hit me up on Instagram. It's just at empowermentthroughthought. So thank you so much for joining with me today. I know I've been a bit inconsistent about my episodes lately. I am slowly moving towards a place where I can be more consistent again. But you know, this is this is the adventure that is grief, <laughs> right? This is um, the irregularity that comes when you're just dealing with, you know, the the death of a toxic person. When you're dealing with the fallout from a toxic person, and you know, in today's episode, I I want to be real with you guys. I want to talk about something that I've been I've mentioned a little bit here and there, but it's something that's that really hit me hard um, this past week. And I I have a suspicion, given my own experience, that I am not the only survivor that has had to endure this kind of thing. So um, I didn't want to talk about it directly on my Instagram because, you know, that's just like opening yourself up to the whole wide world here at the podcast. I feel more comfortable with y'all than I do sometimes on Instagram. So I'm just going to I'm just going to open up a little bit and share some of my experiences and share some of my thoughts as I am actively working through this process. So the topic of today's podcast is uh, losing friends as a survivor. Now, there's probably already some things that immediately pop into your mind <laughs> when I drop that. You know, we we all struggle, I think, as survivors, like as a group, we tend to struggle to have close friends, to have friends that we can really trust and be close to. And I am no different. <laughs> I am exactly the same. When I was young, I would, you know, try to talk about my mother, you know, as children do. I would try to talk about my mother and you know, I was laying down some pretty intense stuff and that did not go well. That did not make me popular. That did not make me a lot of friends growing up. And, you know, that just fed into a world where I was already pretty isolated, right? My, I was pretty isolated from my family in part through active decisions on my father's side, um, in part through physical distance and active decisions on my mother's side of the family, you know, there was, there was a lot of isolation. So school and these spaces where you would traditionally have friends was, um, just an extension of an already pretty normal, painful reality for me. And that was being alone. Now in middle school, that situation changed for me some, um, we kind of, 
accidentally in middle school ended up forming like a group of kind of people on the edge. Right? Like we were like the group of girls that didn't really fit into any of the other spaces. <laughs> and we ended up coming together and there were, there were five or six of us and we didn't really work very hard to be a group of friends. It just sort of like organically happened. And that was one of the beautiful things about it. We were all weird. We all, <laughs> I was, I was a weird, weird kid in middle school. I think most of us are a little bit awkward in middle school, but I was a special kind of weird um, back in the day. And that flavor of weird really worked out nicely um, with, with that particular group of people. Now there was one person in that group I got really close to and um, like her and I were very, very connected. And, you know, today thinking about what was happening then, I would actually probably describe our relationship as kind of codependent. Um, I might've been more dependent on her than she was on me at various times. There were different levels. Um, so it didn't have a very healthy dynamic. But it was a source of goodness in my life. And it was a really, you know, that relationship was a really clean, clear, like beacon of hope for me in an environment where I didn't, I didn't have friends. I didn't have people who, you know, would come over to the house and hang out. My parents never tried to like really set up play dates or anything like that for me my whole life. It was just kind of like this fantasy that one would have friends and people to hang out with and people to talk to and when I started this friendship with this, um, with this other girl, it really, it felt like I had finally discovered that. And, um, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't want to go into the details of who this person was, um, out of respect for them, but they also had a challenging background and we really bonded over that. And we really solidified our friendship. We were the kind of people who would be on the phone to each other for hours and hours and hours, just talking for fun. We would get in trouble because, you know, the way uh, cell phones worked at the time, which is what we were calling on, like there was a limited number of minutes and you had to really like call at certain times of the day in order to avoid that. So it was like nights and weekends, the minutes didn't count. So we would talk like a lot more then. I have no idea in retrospect what we were talking about. <laughs> like, I mean, there was some like serious stuff going on in our lives, but you know, when I think back on it, I don't know what our discussions were, but I know that they were really important to me and they really, they really helped me at a time in my life when I was really feeling very strange. You know, my, my relationship with my father really shifted when I was, um, when I was in middle school and that's because my, uh, father's parents passed away while I was in middle school and I think in seventh grade. And that really marked a turning point. Like before that time, my father understood me more as a child and he could relate to children better than he could adults. He really saw me in that time as a kid and he treated me better during that period. Once his parents passed away, that shifted things and he started to see me more as an adult. He did not fully treat me like an adult until I was 18, um, which was basically when the abuse really amped up. But there was definitely a shift when his parents passed. And that meant somebody who was formerly kind of aggressively there for me started to shift into actually becoming a source of, of problems, a source of challenges in my life. And uh, definitely he backed off on the protection kind of element, which is part of the reason I was safe in an environment with 
a mother who had borderline personality disorder and uh, my father who had narcissism, he was able to step up and protect me when I was like between seventh grade and zero. He, he could do that for some reason, but that started to fall apart seventh grade till I was 18. And then it fully fell apart by the time I was 18 and he was uh, attacking me, no longer just not protecting me. So all that happened in middle school. And that was at the time where I, where I had, I had this friend and we were, we were close and that continued. Uh, it changed a bit. It, it got a little bit, uh, maybe I'd say a little bit more edgy in high school. Um, this was always a challenging relationship, right? Cause it wasn't healthy. It, it was codependent. Um, like my well-being was wrapped up in her well-being. And I think it's also true vice versa. Although I can't know for sure. Um, right. Cause I, you know, I didn't talk to her so much. So it, it makes sense, right? I had a codependent relationship with my father. Um, I did not have a codependent relationship with my mother. I was, I could have done perfectly well in my life without my mother ever being there. It would have been uh, less hard if she was just fully absent because she was, she was not mothering me at all. Uh, but my father, I was very codependent and it makes sense in another close relationship that I would replicate that same kind of thing. Now, as uh, you know, we went into high school, things changed. Um, we, we separated a bit more like that original friend group I had in middle school fell apart because um, at the middle school I went to, there were two different high schools to go to afterward, depending on which part of the neighborhood you lived in. So some of us went to one high school and some of us went to the other. So that group kind of disintegrated. And um, my friend came with me to the same high school as me, but she split off into just different social circles. But we were still friends. We would still talk. We were, we were still actively involved in each other's lives. Now, when it came to being an adult, things got a little more complicated. I went to college right away. Um, she went to, I believe she went to community college and then eventually went to a traditional university. I went straight to a traditional university. We were living far apart from each other. We did generally have a commitment to try to keep up our friendship, but it, it inherently changed. And when I got involved in my toxic ex-husband, you know, as as we do as survivors of toxic parents, of course, we're going to pick a romantic partner who puts us right back in that same kind of space. Um, when I did that, like I felt a lot of shame and I felt a lot of pain and I felt like I was really stupid for getting myself into that situation. So I didn't reach out to her really at all for six years, something like that. Uh, occasionally we would see each other, but it was always a bit strained. And she never reached out to me. She never, she never checked in with me basically through that whole time. So that was a weird thing that happened. But once that person was out of my life and I was moving forward and things were getting better, you know, I tried to come back into her life. I tried to, you know, we, we tried to pick up kind of where we left off. And um, in the pandemic, when that started, we really, we, uh, we tried really hard to show up, I think, for each other. Um, I know she was living alone during that period. It was very different to go through the pandemic alone than with a loved one. Like I had, I was already living with my partner at the time. So like I wanted, I wanted to take care of her. I wanted to show up and it turned out our friendship couldn't sustain that. Um, we ended up, we're, we're basically no longer friends. You know how friendships end, like it, it's sometimes there's like a breakup moment. Like it's, it's complicated to know exactly when it ends. Cause not all friendships have that sort of thing. 
Um, but she hasn't spoken to me in a couple of years now. And I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident in saying that, you know, that that relationship's gone. It's, it's dead. And, uh, maybe someday in the future it will change, but right now it's pretty clear that it's not. And a lot of things happened during the pandemic. Um, she got involved in a romantic relationship that didn't go well. Um, you know, similar to me, it, it was a bit toxic and, um, or like similar to my experiences, right? Where you pick your romantic partner, you pick a bad one to, to start off. And you know, you guys know me, I have a lot of opinions. This was before I decided to be a coach, but like, I have a lot of gut instincts and I actually, I actually have a lot of experience in the dating space. Um, cause that was actually one of my coping mechanisms, um, in, in my life was to, was to turn to men, to turn to relationships, to try to get through the chaos of my home life. But having said all that, I, you know, I, I showed up for her in, in ways maybe that didn't serve us in ways that undermined our relationship. And today it's dead. And that's so, that's so freaking painful for me. I think sometimes when I think back and, you know, like I'm, I'm in this process of mourning my father's death and, you know, sometimes I feel like it hurts a lot more that I lost this friendship than that my father died. And I know that seems really strange, right? It seems really strange, but I had a lot of hope invested in this friendship. I had like this friendship brought a lot of meaning to my life in times where everything felt really desolate and impossible and, you know, radically difficult. And there were moments for better or for worse, whether it was healthy or not. The fact is there were moments where this friendship really felt like this was what I had in life. This was, this could help me get up and, and get out of bed every day. And to think that that's gone now and that it's gone for not really great reasons. Um, it's a little bit unclear if I was going to sum up what the reason is. Um, but essentially I got really hurt and I told her like, please go, go figure this out a bit and then come back and we can talk about it and maybe we can move forward. And she just decided never to come back. Right. So like I intentionally, you know, I didn't go no contact. I felt like it. I felt like going no contact because I was so hurt. I was so hurt by what happened. And I resisted that urge because I was like, she's not toxic. I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to treat her the same way I have to treat somebody who's so mentally ill that they're constantly abusing me. I wanted to honor that this was a different situation. And so I, I tried to create an environment where it was like, look, I just, I, I, I can't do this right now. Here's the thing I'm upset about. If you could maybe go and work on that for a while by yourself and, you know, come back to me. And that's why it's like kind of hard to know, like, is it dead or not? Um, Cause in theory she could still be working on it, but pretty much my hope is totally gone for that. And, you know, we'll, we'll add this I'll add this relationship to the pile of relationships in my life that have died long before the death of any person. So that's all sad and depressing. And, um, you know, you've now listened to my sob story about that. We're going to take a break, hear a word from our sponsor. And then when I come back, I'm going to try to give you some constructive things that I might have picked up along my journey in this situation and talk about like what you can do if you find yourself in a similar situation as a survivor who's perhaps lost friendships along the way. 
Okay, so what what can we learn? What can we learn from this giant pile of crap? Well, you know, I'm reminded of and like in this whole process, I've been thinking a lot about Viktor Frankl. Um, so this is a Jewish man who lived through the Holocaust. He was sent he was sent to Auschwitz and he moved around to um, different concentration camps during um, the Nazi regime. And, you know, he survived it. He, he survived the camps. Um, he was, his background, he's trained as a, I think a psychiatrist at the time. Um, and he's famous now for being the founder of something called existential therapy. And I have a lot of thoughts on existential therapy, but I think, um, if we take it out of the field of psychology, you might think of Viktor Frankl as like one of the first philosophic counselors. Um, there wasn't that term at the time he was writing, but I definitely think he he would fall firmly into that camp. And what what Viktor Frankl, like his main idea is that, you know, people in the concentration camps, the ones that are like the thing that made the difference between those that survived and those that didn't um, were was the, was the people who found meaning in their suffering uh, did better. Right. If it felt like the suffering was meaningless, there was there was no point to it. Um, it was all just in vain. That that impact of that dark belief, you know, that really hard, uh, gut wrenching thought that this was all for nothing, that there's no meaning to it, um, that would kill you faster than anything else at the concentration camps. And his kind of upshot of all of that is that. Um, what, what we need to do is figure out how to make meaning out of the suffering that we experience in our day to day. And I think there's something very valuable in that. And he's very careful to say like, you know, normally when you talk about like, what's the meaning of your life, right? Like it's like this huge, big thing. Like you're, you're saying like, I'm going to end world poverty or something. Right. And like, that's a huge thing. I don't know. That's like a big, big one, kind of scary. I don't want to commit to anything that big. He's really into like, you need to figure out what's like how to make meaning of this today, right? What's meaningful today may not be meaningful in the same way to you, you know, in three years from now, but just for today, how, how is the suffering you're experiencing meaningful? And like, this is really, this is really sat with me. This is, this is from a book called Man's Search for Meaning. I'd highly recommend that you read it. It's, it's really, it's a Holocaust book. So you gotta, you gotta be ready to read a Holocaust book. You gotta watch your mental health, make sure you're in a place you can do that. Um, but I think it's got so much insight on the human condition and, um, you know, so let's, let's try it. Let's try to apply that to this mess of a friendship that I, you know, I'm at the end of, uh, here. And when I ask myself, okay, so how, how is this meaningful? You know, one of the things that, that stands out to me is I have grown immensely in the past five years, the past 10 years, however we want to divide it up. You know, if I think if I think back to that that girl in middle school and how she understood the world and why maybe I I kind of started this friendship and I pursued this friendship like really aggressively at the beginning in ways I would not condone now. Um, I was a little bit um, steamrolling my friend. I was not very understanding or compassionate when her views uh, differed from mine. 
I, it was, it, I did things in ways that today I can see I would not, I would not proceed in that way. And when I think about what went wrong in our friendship or, you know, maybe saying what went wrong isn't the right way to say it. When I think about what, what caused us to maybe drift apart and eventually break, right? When I think about that, I can really see that some of those old habits I had were, from my perspective today, they feel aggressive. Like I was aggressively curious about her um, in times when she didn't always want to share, right? Like I would push that. I would really push like, no, you have to tell me. Like, I love you. You have to tell me. I'm like, whoo, I can tell today like that was not, that was not the way. That's not who I want to be. And I feel that in my body. I feel that that was, that's not what I want going forward. But I think in that relationship, that was normalized, right? She kind of came to expect that I would treat her in those ways. And that was what was familiar and comfortable for her. And I think over the years, as I learned more about what like authentic love looks like, and I learned more about what, you know, what was I doing because I just grew up in a toxic place versus what I wanted to be doing versus what I thought was actually good in the world. I kind of stopped doing that. I stopped the aggressive pursuing, the aggressive curiosity about her life. And that felt really normal and natural to me because my ideas about how to treat people were shifting. I felt like I was actually doing a better job in, in showing up for her because I wasn't forcing her to talk about things that maybe she wasn't ready to talk about. And I don't know if that's how it was received, right? That's how it felt on my experience. I had learned some more about love. I had learned some more about some of the problematic behaviors of my past. And while I was doing all of this learning, I was doing all of this internal work. Um, it wasn't necessarily visible or noticeable to my friends. And maybe, I don't know this, I, I'm, not, I'm not in a place where I can ask her and you know, I, I can't know, I just have her outward behaviors to make my guesses. Um, but I know one of the points of tension we had in our friendship towards the end was um, there were some facts about her everyday life that I didn't really understand. I didn't fully appreciate like, like she was involved in some stuff. And I thought it was like a thing that she was doing, but she's actually like very serious. She wasn't quite professional level at it, but she could have been if she wanted to, like she was very seriously involved in this stuff. And I just didn't, I didn't fully appreciate that because I wasn't doing that like aggressive curiosity to her. Right. When I, when I came and chatted with her, like I would let her share what she wanted to. And if she didn't want to share anymore, that was fine. Right. Like I, I wasn't pushing it anymore. And that to me, even when I say it out loud, it feels like, yeah, I was doing, I was doing better. I was doing good. I was doing the things that actually seem more in alignment with the way I understand love today. But I don't know what her understanding of love was or what her understanding of, or like how she received that space I was giving her. I thought I was giving space in a way that showed I respected her, but maybe she perceived that as distance where I didn't care about her, right? If her notion of love was still, at least when it came to me, was like still kind of expecting that aggressive curiosity and I just 
you know, effectively just suddenly turned that off, that might have been a space where distance was created. And even though my intention, the way I was perceiving it was that I am, I am showing up better for you. I am being more caring. I'm not pushing my stuff onto you. I'm not steamrolling you. I'm not engaged in some of the problematic behaviors that I picked up from my parents. Even though that was all my view, that may not have been her view. And I think one of the reasons we've gotten to the place where we are, where our friendship is over, is a result of us never having the opportunity to directly talk about that. We never had a, a space where that particular thing could come up and where we could address it and we could share with each other what those experiences were like. And because we never directly addressed it, it kind of snowballed. And I don't know if that's like the core thing. Uh, you know, I have no idea if that was the core thing that led to this breakdown, but I definitely think it was a contributing thing. And, you know, that's, that's a hard thing as a survivor. You know, I was, I've been aggressively working on healing at least for the last six or seven years. Um, definitely it's amped up in the last four, three or four years, right? I've been really committed to, to doing this healing work and rethinking a lot of the things that I believe were foundational in my life right? A lot of the core beliefs I have, I've had to revisit and I've had to ask like, okay, what's good here? What do I want to build on? What do I want to let go of? And I think part of, in part of that process in subtle ways, maybe ways I'm not even really noticing, it makes me show up in the world differently. From my perspective, I am more healed. I am showing up in a way that's more authentic to me. But for those people from my past who expected me to behave a certain way, I might not be behaving that way anymore. And that might not be so easy for them to process, right? Those are, those are real changes. And I don't know if those changes always feel good, right? I think a lot depends on how healed they are and um, what their understanding of love is and what they prefer, right? Just their preferences. It's not necessarily that they're not healed and that's why, you know, my stuff is feeling bad. It's I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying like we're all in different places and different things are going to feel good to us at different points in our journey. And I think maybe some of the things that I saw that today I see as problematic were actually comforting to some of the people I was with. And now I don't do those things. And so they, you know, that comfort's been taken away, maybe, right? That's one way to understand it. So if I'm thinking back to Viktor Frankl and, you know, what is, what is the meaning here? I think one way to make meaning of the suffering is to say, this is, this is the suffering of, of, of healing work. This is the suffering of personal growth, right? This, this, losing my friendship is arguably one of the hardest things that's ever happened to me. I cared so deeply for this friendship. I fought so aggressively. Let's just be honest. It was aggressive fighting for it for a long time. And there were moments I stepped out of it and it felt bad. It felt wrong. And, you know, I, I imagined in my life, I would have this person in some capacity with me um, until the day I died. Right. That, that's, that's what I imagined. Um, and that's not true. That's not how it's going. So that suffering is meaningful because 
I think at least one of the reasons it's happening is because of my internal growth. And that is so scary. That is so scary. If you're a survivor and you're listening to this and you're thinking about a friendship that you have that's maybe feeling different now that you are working on your your healing work, um, this this story might might be a nightmare to you, right? It might it might sound terrifying. It's exactly the thing that you don't want to have happen. That you you lose something that was so valuable to you in the past, is so valuable, or you thought would be valuable to you in the future, um, and you lose it because you're acting different from all of that growth, all of that healing work that you've done. And I was not, I did not know going in that the kind of growth work that I've been doing, the healing work that I've been doing would lead me to this particular cost. I didn't think, oh, I have to give up my, my best friend, my best friend for, de- for over a decade. I have to give her up if I'm going to do this work. I didn't, I didn't know that going in. I didn't think it would be like that. I couldn't imagine how it would be like that, but it feels like that's where we're at. That's what happened. And when I step back and I take a bigger picture, look at my life and I think about, okay, that's a horrible, horrible thing that happened, um, as a result of my healing work. Like I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's devastating. Let's think about what are the goods that come from this healing work? What are the positives that come? Cause like, that's a horrible cost. Never mind the, like, I had to go no contact with my father. I've had to have no contact with my mother. I've been alienated from certain parts of society. I have a harder time connecting with people. I have PTSD. Like there's a lot of other negatives. Okay. There's a lot of negatives. Um, let's think about the goods. What are some of the good things that come from that growth? Um, you know, I, I can think of tons. I can think of so many. I'm in a better position to help other survivors. I am in a better position. If I ever want to have kids, I know that I'm going to not bring as much BS into their life as I would have if I hadn't done this healing work, right? If I, if I do have kids, I'm going to pass down less of the nonsense. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm not going to pass it all like some down. Like I'm definitely going to pass some down because we ain't perfect. We working on it. But it's going to be um, less than if I hadn't done this this healing work. You know, there's there's goods where I can show up more authentically um, in spaces that other survivors are in because I've done this work. I can I can sit with you as a survivor and you can tell me this horrible stuff you've had happen to you. And I can sit with you and be present with you and not have my own stuff come up. Right. I can just be there with you and see you and and hold you and help you through that without getting myself triggered, without getting all of, of my struggles projected into this. The reason I can do that, the reason I can serve you like in a one on one context is because I've done this personal growth stuff. Right. If I hadn't done that, when you brought me stuff, you would get my reactions from my past, from my nonsense from my hurts. And you deserve better than that. You deserve someone who can be with you and be there just with you and your experience and not be bringing all of this stuff in. And I feel like I'm better today at doing that than I've ever been my entire life. And I don't know if that justifies the cost of 
all the costs that this personal growth stuff has has incurred me, right? I don't know. I don't know if we could we could make those calculations, but I do not believe that the suffering of losing my friend was in vain. I think the suffering there was a product of the growth that I've been doing and I feel shit about it. I just do. I spent like all of one of the days last week just crying on the couch, like the whole day, like eight hours of just crying on the couch on and off. Um, cause I feel, I just feel completely wrecked by it. But at the same time, I can see that pain. I can, I can feel that pain. I know that that pain is valid and it's authentic. And I can also see the goods that have come from the very same growth that led me to this place with this friendship. There is so much good from that growth. I am a happier person. I am a more fulfilled person. I feel better about potential future friendships. I feel better about my ability to show up for the people I want to support. I feel better about how I can show up in my romantic relationship. Like I, I am a better human being because I've done that personal growth. And if that means I had to give up one of the most important relationships in my life, I guess that's, that's what it meant. That's, that's what we're facing, but that suffering's not in vain. Um, it's just, it's the suffering of growth and it sucks. Oh my God. <laughs> I did not want it to be like this. I did. I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't imagine it, but I, you know, I think, Sometimes you hear like on Instagram and stuff, you hear this kind of like, well, sometimes when you grow, you lose friends. And like, I don't know, it sounds like an after school special or something. But I kind of, I feel like I am experiencing that on like a really gut wrenching level. And maybe it's because I still had codependency mixed in with this relationship. I'm not going to say that isn't possible. I am a very flawed human being. And maybe there was still a lot of codependency there. And there's been a hard cutoff of all of that for a couple of years. So maybe it's like the withdrawals from that. But whatever it is, it's very open, authentic wound um, that's not going to heal anytime soon. And I feel especially bad that I'm having to really come to terms with that wound at the same time that I'm facing uh, the grief from my father's death. Um, but of course, those two things go together, right? In the past, when I imagined my father dying, I also imagined my friend being there to comfort me. And she was not, she was not there. Um, she didn't seem to have much interest in being there. So of course it makes sense that I'm, I'm having to face both of these at the same time. Um, but it sucks. And I hope that you don't find yourself in exactly the same situation. This is not a situation we would hope to be in. Um, but I do, you know, I'm here to share with you my survivor experience. I'm here to share with you what I think can be helpful. And if you find yourself in these sorts of situations, I would invite you to try to find ways that you can make meaning out of the suffering that you are experiencing. Find ways to show yourself that the suffering is not in vain. It is horrible. It is painful. You do not deserve this suffering. But given it's here, given we're in a space where we're feeling like shit, right? let's, let's try to find ways to make it meaningful. And like I said, that's not my idea. That's Viktor Frankl's idea. It's actually a pretty common idea in existentialism. You'll find that idea in Nietzsche. You'll find it in a lot of places, um, in philosophy in especially. So, 
Um, that's, that's really what I wanted to share with you guys. I, I hope that you're not losing a friendship or in the process of losing one right now. I hope it's not a risk in your life, but I want you to know if it does happen to you, you're not alone. Um, this is one of the harder parts of the, the healing journey. At least that's how I'm understanding it. And I hope that you found some comfort, some insight from this episode, and I will catch you guys in the next one. Bye-bye.